Well, thank you, everybody, so much. We're halfway through our series on the book of Exodus. Well, we're going to be halfway through when we get done today. We're, we're working through the book of Exodus, and the text we have to read today is Exodus. It's going to be Exodus chapters 19 through 24. Now, I realize that's a lot of Bible. We're not going to sit here and read every single verse. We just don't have enough time. I encourage you to go home and read it on your own. Um, but what I want to do for us today is I kind of just get up in the plane and take a 30,000-foot view of what we're looking at here in the book of Exodus. We're going to be looking at the law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And this is the point when you're in your read-the-Bible-in-a-year plan where it starts to get a little bit... <sighs> it can be difficult to read through all of this kind of stuff, these laws, these rules, these ordinances that don't always make sense. And so my goal for us today, the one thing I want to walk away with today, is helping you to understand the law and how it relates to you as a Christian. My goal is for you to be able to take this section of the book of Exodus, or Leviticus, or Numbers, or Deuteronomy, any of those really difficult passages of the law, and to be able to read all of those little legal bits that don't always make sense, and to try and apply it to your life, to understand how you should relate to it. All of that stuff, like don't put multiple pieces of fabric together and, and don't have seeds in the same field and all of that kind of stuff. So, so that's my goal. That's what I want to walk, us to walk away today, understanding. So if you have your Bible, if you have the Bible app, if you have some other way of reading the Bible, I don't care how you read the Bible, just get your Bibles. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 1. Exodus 19, 1 says... On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, what you are to tell the people of Israel. He says, you yourself have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Notice the, notice the language that God uses here. He says, I carried you out on eagle's wings. God is painting this picture of taking this group of people out of Egypt and, and almost like, like a mother bird teaches her young how to fly. He's painting this image that He's training them, teaching them how to fly. Because the law that we're about to see is exactly that. The purpose of the law was to take a group of people who did not know God, they did not trust God, they did not have faith in God, they didn't understand God, and they had just spent almost 500 years worshiping idols in Egypt. To take those people and to train them 
to become followers of God. Think, that's a monumental task when you think about it, that God's taking on. 430 years of living in Egypt, following the Egyptian cultures and customs. And you, you can't just pluck a nation out of a place like that and just overnight turn them into followers of God. Like, it just takes time. Here we are three months later, and God's like, okay, we're going to do this. You're my people. So they needed this law. They needed that instruction to help unlearn all of the bad habits they had. Who, who here is, is a left-handed? I've got a lot of left-handers. One, two, three, four. I'm a left-hander. Okay, who's my right-handers? Everybody else. Is anybody ambidextrous? Can I do? Oh, my goodness. Okay. The ambidextrous people don't count. Try, try writing with your opposite hand. Anybody ever tried to do that? It's hard, it's weird, it's uncomfortable. Because you've spent your entire life learning to do a thing a certain way, and then when you just try to switch to the opposite hand, it's like, I don't know. You can learn how to do it. It takes practice, it takes discipline and instruction. But it's not easy, it's not something that happens overnight. And that's what we're seeing here in the law. So Bible tool number one, I want you guys keeping in your back pocket. If you're reading from Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, any of those weird laws that don't make sense to you, chances are, there's like a 98% chance that if a law is weird and doesn't make sense to you, it's because it was meant to unlearn something that the Israelites were doing from Egyptian culture or Canaanite culture. God is trying to cut them off cold turkey from their old religions because he wants a group of people who are just his. We read verse 5. He says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, we talked about that during communion, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And again, like I talked about during communion, this is a legally binding contract that God is entering into with the Israelites. And God initiates this contract. He says, you're going to be my people. You're going to obey me. He says, we're going to initiate this contract. And, and later on here in verse 19, he tells Moses, he says, get all the people together, have them wash their clothes, purify themselves, abstain from relations. He says, for three days, I don't want any distractions between me and my people. Because this is the most important contract you're ever going to sign. That's how serious they were supposed to take it. I want to get into the terms we look at this like, a, like an actual legal document, like a contract. Let's get into the terms. So after they've prepared themselves, we get over to verse, chapter 20, verse 1. We should, most of us all know this, right? It says, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But 
showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. He goes on, he says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath rest. He goes on, he describes the Sabbath. You get down to verse 12. This is where he kind of rapid fires these off. He says, Honor your father and mother so that you may live in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet. It's the, it's the Ten Commandments. We know the Ten Commandments, right? At least we, we're familiar with them. They, I mean, the, the, these Ten Words, this Ten Commandments, the Ten Words as the Bible calls them, are the heart of Jewish law. And they're, and they're the heart of our moral law today, right? We see them in, in courthouses. We, see them, we have them downstairs on the wall for our, our children's program. And everything we read in the law is filtered through these ten words. Think about, think about our laws and our system of laws we have in our country. We have this thing, right? It's called a constitution. That's the supreme law of the land, at least it's supposed to be. It's the lens through which we're supposed to filter all of the other laws, right? We have like 30,000 federal, did you know we have like 30,000 federal laws in this country? Roundabout, because there's so many they can't keep track of them. And, and some of them are cumbersome, some of them are just really generic. But our, if our lawmakers and our courts are doing the things the way they're supposed to, they're supposed to pass a law and they're supposed to look at it in the light of the Constitution and say, okay, yeah, this passes muster, this lines up. There is a hierarchy of laws. Now, just because there's a hierarchy, that doesn't mean they're both, one is more of a law than the other, right? This federal statute that's way down here is still the law of the land. It's still enforceable by the federal government just as much as the Constitution is. So when I say hierarchy, I don't mean that one's more important, one's more law than the other. What I mean is we read this law through the lens of this law, not the other way around, okay? And it's the same thing we have here in the scriptures. There's this hierarchy where everything else we read, we find we have to read it through the lens of the Ten Commandments, and the Israelites would have said, oh yes, this law has something to do with one of these Ten Commandments. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Turn to chapter 21, starting in verse 12. This is one of these laws. He says, anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. Okay, what is that? What law is that? You shall not murder. Yeah, right, right. So, but then he goes on and, he, and they give almost this clarification. He says, however, if it's not done intentionally, but God lets it happen, they are to flee to a place I will designate. But if someone schemes and kills someone deliberately, that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. Right, this, is a, this is a further clarification on you shall not murder. Because we're messy people. When, when Moses comes down and says, don't murder, 
there was some guy over there who was like, what if it's an accident? Is that technically, what if it's, and so we have the rest of the law to say, no, murder is, this is the definition of murder. This is how you should understand you shall not murder. If it's an accident, we have things in place for that. Another, another example I see here in, in verse 28. This is another um, you shall not murder clarification. Verse 28 says, If a bull gores a man or a woman to death, the bull is to be stoned to death, and the meat must not be eaten. But the owner of the bull will not be held responsible. If, however, the bull has had the habit of goring and the owner has been warned, but has not kept it penned up and it kills a man or woman, the bull is to be stoned to death and the owner is to be put to death. However, if payment is demanded, the owner may redeem his life by the payment of whatever is demanded. Again, this is a clarification because there was some guy who was like, what if I technically am not the one doing the murdering, but it's my, it's my cows? Technically, and so we have this law, we have this explanation that's read through the lens of you shall not murder because of the technicalities, okay? Think about, I think when we look at, especially if we want to compare the law to something that we know, like our system of laws, what we get in chapters 21, 22, and 23, they're, they're actually a lot more like a Supreme Court decision than, than a federal law that would be passed by Congress. That's probably a better way to understand it. Imagine for a second that this was how, this was our system of laws that we had in our country. Again, we had, the, we had the technicalities. We have the you shall not murder, and then they had to have a court decision that said, well, if your cow does it and you knew it was going to happen, then yeah, you're still guilty. We, we live in this culture that's full of loopholes, don't we? If this was a law, the, the thing about the, the bull and the goring, if this was a law in our country today and it was written exactly how it's written here, and then there was somebody who had a dog who had a habit of biting, and the dog got out and bit somebody, they would go to court and they would have a defense attorney who would be combing through the law, and they would say, Your Honor, the law talks about bulls. It doesn't say anything about Rottweilers. So technically, my client is innocent. And if that was our laws in our country, he would get off free. Because we live in a loophole society. If you tried doing that to a judge in ancient Israel, they'd laugh you out of the court. They'd be like, I don't care if it's a bull, a sheep, a dog, or nothing. You understand the principle behind the law, don't you? All of it is reflected back on the principle, which is you shall not murder. So I think if we read these laws, we have to understand that the Israelites were meant to draw out principles. We are meant to draw out principles. Just one more. I'm not going to read all of them. But chapter 22, verse 5 is another good example. He says, If anyone grazes their livestock in a field or vineyard and lets them stray and they graze in someone else's field, the offender must make restitution from the best of their own field or vineyard. Again, this is just 
more clarification on what it means to not steal. Just so that nobody can come back and say, well, technically I didn't steal it. My cows just ate it. Like, no, I mean, the Bible is very clear and the way the law is laid out that we don't do loopholes. If there's a sin in your life and you're trying to justify it by using the word technically, chances are you probably shouldn't be doing that thing. God doesn't deal with technicallys. He's not a fan. And so God goes through this, these ten words, these ten commandments, says he gives all of these ordinances in, in chapters 21, 22, 23, and I encourage you to go home and read through those and try and, and pick out which of the Ten Commandments they apply to. And then they ratify the document. They ratify the contract. So turn to chapter 24. I'm going to start, I'm going to pick up in verse 3. It says, When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said, we will do. By the way, they didn't. Just saying. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and they sacrificed young bulls as a fellowship to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in the bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Oh my goodness, I didn't realize this. I have a little note in my Bible that just says famous last words. That's, that's funny. <laughs> Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. So this, this law is established, this covenant is ratified, it's signed in blood. And from this point in Jewish history, moving on into the future, between what we read here in Exodus, what we find in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there's even a couple that are back in Genesis, that they'll follow. We have what's called these 613 laws, these mitzvot, they call them. And these laws throughout the first five books of the Bible, they, they range drastically from you shall not murder all the way to really obscure purity laws and food laws and, and what kind of animals you can eat and what you're supposed to do in, in certain um, medical situations. And one of the most, I want to say difficult, one of the questions I hear a lot from people who read through this, the big thing that's on a lot of people's mind is, which, which of these laws do I need to obey? Now, I want to be clear, what I don't mean is, which of these laws do I need to obey to be saved? That's not what this question's about. We're saved through Christ. We're saved through our faith in Christ, through our obedience to Christ. But I want to be a good Christian. 
I love God. Who, who wants to do what God asks? Okay, everybody's hand should be up, hopefully. If it's not, maybe we'll talk after. I don't know. If I want to do what God asks of me, if I love God and I want to do what he says, isn't it a fair question to ask, like, well, which of these, do I need to follow all of these? And, and we already talked about the importance of drawing out the principles behind the law, and that's important. Don't get caught up in the details. Not everybody has bulls that, some, actually most people here do, never mind. Don't let your bulls gore somebody. Um, but the question still kind of lingers, doesn't it? I want to know which of these laws do I need to follow? What is my relationship with the law? And the more you think about it, the less simple it actually gets. Think about this. The question is, which of these laws do I need to obey? What if the answer was, well, all of them. It's all God's word. We need to follow all of God's word. Well, that doesn't really work, though, because there's plenty of places in the New Testament where these laws are specifically nullified. There's plenty of places where it says, no, you don't need to eat these kosher foods. You don't need to go through these ritual sacrifices anymore. You don't need to go through with circumcision. Well, then, okay. Well, then let's go to the other extreme. What if, what if we just said, well, then I don't need to obey any of these? Well, that's not really true either. I mean, look at Luke chapter 18. I can get there. Luke 18. It says, A certain ruler asked Jesus, asked him, asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. That's straight from what we just read. Jesus is absolutely affirming the law here. He's saying, yeah, you need to, you need to do that stuff. You shouldn't be out murdering people and committing adultery. And he says it almost as if it's a no-brainer here. So obviously Jesus wants us to follow some. We've got a list here of some laws that he wants us to follow. But then it gets even more complicated because... If you look at Matthew chapter 25, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, in verse 27, Jesus says, You've heard it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. That's the law, but that's even more strict. Jesus is saying not only should you not commit adultery, you shouldn't even be thinking about it. So it, it gets a little bit difficult if you want to try and figure out, like, well, how should I live as a Christian? And so then we say, okay, what if the laws, what if it's just the Ten Commandments? We talked about how that's the core, right? Everything is filtered through that lens. What if we just focused on the Ten Commandments? That seems like a good bet, right? Well, when's the last time anybody took a Sabbath rest? And coming to church on Sunday is not the same thing as taking a Sabbath rest, by the way. So that's, that really is not a good way to look at it either, is it? The reason I'm, I'm bringing this up 
is because this is one of those questions that I think it's important for everybody to really struggle with and wrestle with. It's one of those things where the more you look into it, the, the more you start to have like questions of like, well, I don't know. And if you read through the New Testament and you try to figure it out, if you read through the New Testament and try to say, okay, which of these laws do I need to follow and which ones do I not, you're going to actually end up with more questions than answers. I promise you that. The more you study it, the more you're going to be like, I don't know. I don't know. Even Paul, Paul is a big, in Paul's letters, he talks about the law a lot. But even he leaves us with questions sometimes. So read uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 20. It's a very famous verse. It says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Like, okay, Paul, I get it. Got it. Awesome. That's crystal clear to me. We're not made righteous by the law. The law is just there to show us our sin. Awesome. Glad I finally have that settled. And then you get down to verse 31 in chapter 3. And Paul says, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. And maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe you're at peace with it. Maybe it just makes perfect sense to you. But I read that and I'm like, what do you mean, Paul? Uphold the law, he says. Just follow the law. And you're like, yeah, but which ones? Because you just told us that there's ones that we don't have to follow. I've been told multiple times in this book that there's, there's laws I need to follow and there's laws I don't. And if we pretend that it's a simple answer, well, it, it gets complicated. All right. 30,000 foot view. On, I want to land the plane now. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about this. Chapter 9, verse 19, Paul says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those, now listen carefully, to those under the law, I became like one under the law, even though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. So basically he's saying, I am not under the power of the law. But then in verse 21, he says, To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, even though I am not free from God's law. Okay, now we're getting this, this question back and forth again, right? Well, are you under the law? Are you not under the law? Are you free from the law? You're not free from the law. But I am under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. This is the monumental, crucial thing that we have to understand when we read through this and we try to think about our relationship to the law, is that yes, we are under the law. We are under Christ's law. Remember we talked about covenants, we talked about contracts. This was Israel's covenant with God. Jesus has a covenant for us. We are under his law. 
We're under the law of Christ. Okay. Shout it out. I want somebody to give me a specific answer. You thought I had it figured out, but now we've got more questions. Somebody give me a specific answer. What does it mean to be under the law of Christ? Oh, you took my punchline. Yes. All right. What else could it mean, though? Is it the law of faith? Having faith in Christ? I mean, Paul talks about the fact that we are not saved by the works of the law. We're saved through our faith in Christ. Is it following the teachings of Christ, the actual words that Christ gave us? Imitating Christ? I think those are all components of it. Stu, you absolutely hit the nail right on the head. Someone asked Jesus, he says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. When you go back and read all of these laws, you will find that all of the laws relate to either this law or the second, which is like to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And in fact, even when you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four are examples of how to love God. Take a Sabbath rest. Don't have idols. Worship the God, your God alone. They're all just examples of love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And then everything after that, don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother, don't murder. Those are all examples of how we love our neighbor as ourself. God says, I've taken my people out as if they were on eagle's wings to train them to teach them how to fly. Everything in the law of Moses was meant to train the Israelites how to do those two things. Everything Jesus taught, everything Jesus did, everything we read about in the New Testament was meant to train us how to do those two things. That's what it means to be under the law of Christ. All the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. At the core of it, it's just, are you loving God and are you loving your neighbor? I told you at the beginning, my goal was to get us to a point where we understand how we should relate to the law. Which ones we should follow, which ones we shouldn't. How should we interact with God's law? And Jesus is basically telling that the, us that the entire Bible... Every single word in the law and the prophets all the way through should be read through the lens of love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. You want to be right with God? You want to fulfill his law? You want to obey him? You want to do what he asks of you? 
We as Christians should be displaying love. Paul says, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So if you want to know how to obey God, you can start there. You can start by loving him and loving his creation. And if you're not clear exactly what that is supposed to look like, if you need more of an explanation, Jesus tells us in John 15 that greater love has none than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's how much love Christ had for us. That he was willing to come and serve and die for each and every one of you. Think about all the people in your life that you would be willing to die for. And I mean honestly, I don't mean like in this metaphor, uh, you know, metaphorical like, oh yeah, I would probably like, no, the people in your life that you would actually go to bat for, that you would die for. I can, if I'm being honest, I can count them on one hand. The number of people who I would be willing to take a bullet for. Think about the way you love those four or five people in your life. How much you care about them. How much you want what's best for them. How much you would sacrifice for them. And here's the challenge. Jesus' challenge here is to take those four or five people. You should be having that same amount of love for the random stranger who just walked in. for your enemies, for the people who hate you. Those four or five people. That same degree of love for someone who hates your guts. Are you following God's law? How have you shown love like that to someone this week? And how do you plan to show it next week? And the week after that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you love us so much that you died for us. God, we ask that you would give us the strength through the power of your Holy Spirit to love like that, to love our family like that, to love our brothers and sisters like that, to love our neighbors, to love our enemies. Because at the end of the day, God, we want to we be obedient to you. We want to do what you ask. And we need help. We can't always do it on our own. We need your spirit. But we just, we want to love the way that Christ loves us. So please, we ask you as we go throughout our week to help us to love that way. I ask that you'd be with everyone in this room, that you would help them to go out and love that way. And we pray all of this in the name of your precious son, Jesus. And the church said, Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you very much. At this time, I would like to sing...
uh, a 